0: welcome to sharing the magic the podcast that takes you on a journey through the enchanting
1: worlds of disney each week we're joined by a special guest whether they're a magician creating moments of astonishment or a disney expert sharing the secrets behind the magic of the happiest place on earth together we'll uncover the stories inspirations, and behind-the-scenes tales that bring these worlds to life. So, get ready to be spellbound and transported to a place where dreams come true.
2: Welcome to the latest episode of Sharing the Magic, your show dedicated to all things Disney. Your home for great conversations and thought-provoking stories. I'm your host, your ghost host, Barry. Tonight we have a guest whose last name carries enough weight by itself. However, having his own legacy is what makes him special. We will meet this man after we meet our cast tonight. And tonight we'll start off with the world-famous Skipper Jay, finally back on the show, Jay how you doing tonight?
1: Aloha everyone fantastic. I, the, the the journey of this move is finally over and I'm so happy to be in Orlando Florida. I love it here. I'm so happy that this move is over.
2: All right we're glad we're so glad you're back Jay and next up we have the mother child Disney kids and happy birthday to Lisa. Lisa how you doing?
3: I'm great thank you so much. So I just got done with some cake, so if I'm a little uh, antsy, you'll know why.
2: All right, next up we have everyone's favorite Disney dad, Matt. Matt, how's it going?
0: I'm doing great, Barry. Really excited for tonight's episode and a chance to talk to our guest.
2: Yeah, it's going to be exciting. All right, and last up we have the real lady divine, Lindsay. Lindsay, how are we doing tonight, I'm doing great, Barry. I cannot wait for tonight's episode. I have 14 more days until I'm back in Disney. So I'm like getting antsy, but I am so excited to talk to Chris tonight. All right. Yeah. This is going to be exciting because our guest had a famous Imagineer father, but he was also an Imagineer himself. He also helped work on some amazing projects in Disneyland and we are so happy to introduce Chris Crump to the show tonight. Chris, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Barry. I'm excited to be here. Great. So let's go ahead and jump in. Chris, why don't you go ahead and tell us how you got your love for Disney?
4: Uh, Well, I, I think the fact that I was born into it, I have th- home movies when uh, I was one years old and I had a Overalls with Mickey Mouse on it, uh, I, I think it was unavoidable. So um back in the old days, uh we was we used to go to the park all the time. And uh back in those days, there it was a, a much freer environment. We used to roam around the park. Dad used to take us in and we would uh be able to walk backstage. And, you know, of course we weren't supposed to, but, but he showed us where we, where we could go. And we knew all the backstage entrances and exits and just, you know, loved going to the park.
2: So, um, obviously you have a famous dad. So why don't you explain, um, how it was going around the park with your dad? I mean, and, uh, seeing all the other, uh, uh Imagineers that, uh, worked, worked at the parks.
4: Yeah. Um, it was, great because um you know he'd run into people i mean he he ended up working uh in the more of the art direction at the park and so he was always bumping into people and it was just fun um like i said back in the early days uh it was an even it was a much even friendlier kind of environment but but actually the real fun was getting to visit him in imagineering when he was working and my mom used to bring me in uh we would go see the Dodgers. Uh, sorry for you, Yankee fans out there. Uh, Dodger Stadium was real close to Imagineering. And um, so my mom would bring me in after school and I would visit while everybody was working for about an hour and a half before the game. And I just get to walk around and and uh, watch everybody do their job um, building attractions.
0: Chris, was there something that when you were there around Imagineering and, and you're looking at Your dad was like a part of that inaugural, that initial group of Imagineers. When you think of those founding fathers, you can't not think of Rolly Crump. So when you were there with him and you're looking at what all these Imagineers are doing, was there something that you kind of found yourself being drawn towards, like a a certain skill or something that they were working on? Or do you have like any stories of just like watching these people at work?
4: Well, it it was my skills uh, from the beginning uh i got into model making and i was i was building models at home at a really young age and when i look back now and i i see what i what kind of models i was building at what age i was building it at i i was clearly i had i kind of just had basic skills right mm. yeah. um and interest so you know you have the injection molded kits but if I wanted to build something myself, um, dad would bring home supplies from from work. So I had balls. So what? I had basically all the modeling supplies that anybody imagineering had. Wow! And um, I, I even there was this one story. One of the uh, really great model makers that at the old, in the old days, uh, Jack Fergus, big, tall, huge guy. If, if I had a question about something he would he would like answer my dad like my dad would a- ask him a question and he'd answer it and and not not only that but then when i i go after school and because i went to a lot of dodger games um <laughs> so he had i would be working on a model that he would keep in his office so when i came in i could work on it there so i was actually sitting in the model shop while they're building you know for, uh, for an example the uh one in scale model of the the clock from the uh, small world and the whole big wow. facade of Disneyland, they were working on that, and and I was working on my little models on the other side, you know, on a table. <laughs> That's amazing.
0: <laughs> that is amazing. That's got to be like an experience and a half for you, you know, as a yeah. kid to be able to do that, and then to kind of bring that into your your own career later on. But I know uh, Skipper Jay had a question for you that we were talking about earlier that he wanted to jump sure.
1: in. Sure, I do have a question I want to ask. Uh, and now it's two questions because I I remember reading that you your dad's office was full of models and when Walt yeah. would come in to Wed on the weekends that he would always go in your dad's office every time to look around.
4: Yeah, I mean, uh, he had uh, you know the model shop was kind of a, a fun. It was a fun place. It's just a big, huge art studio basically. But um, yeah, he had just all kinds of fun stuff. He uh w- one of the things he did was he he had a hot plate in his office and he would make chili in there on oh, a hot plate that's awesome
0: <laughs> was it walt's recipe
4: no i was just saying, you know chili
1: you <laughs> oh. see that's the real reason Walt went on the weekends to make himself some chili. that he'd walk around <laughs>
2: that's it seems like everybody likes that so uh so chris let me let me let me ask you when you um did you ever meet walt disney and what was your impression of, impression of him
4: yeah, so um again during these visits to to Wed, it was Wed back then, I, I would go in and and it was one of those, oh gee, Chris, you, you just missed him. He was just like he was here, you know, just a minute ago. And uh, uh like one time I told this story um to Jeff Curdy, and I'm not sure if you know Jeff, but he's a he's a famous author of Disney books. I was going to the restroom and, you know, that was back in the white shirt and little black tie days. Right. And uh, I saw this guy as I was walking the restroom and he, he looked a lot like Walt. And I, I came back uh, after I went to the restroom and, and and I said, Dad, I just saw somebody walking down the hall. And I, it looked a lot like Walt Disney. Was that Walt? He goes, oh, no, that was just John Hench. And um, <laughs> I, I told the story to Jeff. He's like, yeah, just John Hench. Walt was in the building when I was in the building. And later on, much later on, when I went to work in Imagineering and I, I told the story to a, one of the executives, he he looked at me, he said, Chris, he goes, look, here's here's how this goes down. The way I would have told the story is I would have said I met Walt because <laughs> I was in the same building with him, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, you know, we were within, you know, re you know reasonable proximity how's that i kind of i kind of felt like i know him because i mean you know dad would come home from work and he'd he'd tell stories about his day at work and his day hanging out with walt and what they were talking about and there's plenty of evidence from many imagineers that dad and walt were pretty close Uh, bob bob ger being one of them and i I know bob really well known him for decades and uh if you guys are, you're, I'm sure you know who Bob is.
0: Yes. Yep.
4: Yeah. So, so Bob and I'll do my Bob impression. He says, "Your dad has more pictures with he and Walt than any of us." It was terrible. It was. I'm so jealous of him.
0: That's good. That's a good impression. I love Bob. Bob's Bob's like my uncle. Yeah, he's he's great. I love his uh the the new nighttime talk show style thing that he's he's putting out. It's a the lot Bob Gersh show. Yeah, a lot of fun.
4: Yeah he he allegedly is gonna have me on but you know I'm not holding my breath
0: well if you get on let us know Watch. I
4: will yeah no i've I've talked to his agent Ernie about that and and they said yeah we're we're gonna crank it back up in November and we'll have you on so
2: well that's only a few days away from this recording so but um a few d- days away um is also Halloween yes. so tell us a little bit about uh the impressions of haunted mansion on you and your family
4: well you know kind of like everybody you know we all walked around the first haunted mansion building and wondering when are they going to open this thing but um that was a that was a show that dad worked on uh sort of as his, like experimental stuff he uh was working with Yale Gracie on a lot of the illusions and um again i i'm i'm going into uh, wed when they're working on this stuff. And I was seeing the, you know, like the, when you, when you see the, the, the bus that looks at you, you know, you, you walk by it and it, and the, and it looks like the bus is following you. And I remember seeing that for the first time at wed and having them explain to me what it was. Cause it, you know, it was so odd, but I, I got to check this stuff out, uh, up close. Uh, a lot of the ghost effects I was seeing beforehand and, uh, you know, and and one of the famous gags or, or pranks that Dad and Yale pulled. Uh, these guys like to screw around at work. They like to to have fun, and um, they they got a, a report from uh, the janitorial department that um, that they they did not like having to clean the area where the ghosts were because it scared the janitors, and and they asked if they would please leave the lights on in the room. So that they, you know, that we weren't going into a dark room. So of course they found this out, and they thought of something fun to do. So um, they rigged a, a sensor so that when you walk into the room, the lights would go off, and then all the ghosts would go on. <laughs> so, so they they rigged they rigged the room, and and apparently they came in like the next day. And um, there was just a broom laying in the middle of the room on the floor. <laughs> a note from the janitorial staff saying, you can clean your own room from now on.
0: <laughs> That's great. Uh,
2: so, right. I mean, Let,
0: Chris, you can't ahead. you can't go and talk about the Haunted Mansion without bringing up Museum of the Weird. And right. we had, you know, uh, a couple episodes ago, we actually had the opportunity to speak with Terry Hardin Jackson. Right. Who was... I believe working with your your dad on like a chess set where, and she was showing us some of like the the sculptures that they were making based off of those characters. Can right. you, what can you share with us about the Museum of the Weird? Because that would have been something that was so different if it did make it to the parks. But at the same time, even though it didn't make that, you know, maybe what Rolly had in mind, it definitely inspired Haunted Mansion and the the fact that it's not just all silly. There are definitely some pretty spooky parts in that attraction. And I feel like, you know, Museum of the Weird kind of influenced that. What was that like? Did, did, were you growing up with, like, these figures that scared Walt, basically, like, around the house? Like, just what was that?
4: Well, you know, we were aware of it. And, and of course, um, y- you know, the the Wonderful World of Color, you know, episodes and the famous, you know, Museum of the Weird um, episode where Dad's showing Walt, you know, all these, you know, models of the coffin clock and the candle man and the the man-eating plant and, and all this stuff. So, yeah, we we're real, real aware of it. And um, it was just a shame that it never happened. It definitely influencing uh, like the chair design. There's the, some of the chair designs were loosely based on some things that he did. And there was, you know, just, yeah, there was a, I mean, basically what it was is that he just want dad wanted to see something that just wasn't this like, you know, scares for the sake of scaring with like rattling, you know, shutters and things like he was watching, you know, strange Fellini movies, right. That, that was his influence. And, and he was leaning on the, on the weird side, just, just to, just to make it different. And just because that's just what he thought. And, and it, 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 it was really more this um dad's an artist and i mean when i say artist artists don't give a blank <laughs> they they say what they think what they think they say what they say and and i had i have a, a a writer from the times said to me once i love this he said you know dad your dad would say things that people found offensive and he was offended that they were offended <laughs> So he just wanted something different, and um, I I don't know if you've heard the the story about him presenting the Museum of the Weird to Walt. He's told the story uh, uh, on many video, you know, documentaries, and it's it's out there. I've I've I I know at least five or six versions of it, and they've all gotten tamer as life has gone on, because he was also not shy about telling people he didn't like somebody right Mm -hmm. very unpolitically correct so anyways the museum of the weird he he was there was a big presentation with walt and and it was the usual suspects you know it was mark davis it was claude coates it was all the guys who were working on their stuff and and uh dick irvine who ran the place back in the back in the day is walking walt around and he's and he's showing him everything that the other guys are doing and then the museum and the weird stuff's in a corner and so walt's like okay have i seen everything he'd been there for you know maybe an hour and a half and uh they said yeah and he and he he looks over in the corner and sees all these models the cattlemen and all that stuff and he says well well, what's, what's Rolly? He goes, eh, that stuff, that, this crazy stuff that Rolly's working on. Well, what is this crazy stuff that Rolly's working on? So anyways, dad shows him all the, you know, the stuff. And, and he goes, well, well, it's like, well, what, what is all this? It's what's the story? What's the, you know, what he goes, I don't know. Well, it's just a bunch of weird stuff that I've been working on. Cause I just think <laughs> that the, the mansion just needs to be a little different and he goes well okay just yeah it's kind of weird so Walt leaves and the next day my dad gets to work and Walt's sitting in his office in the same clothes that he was wearing from the meeting that he had the night before and uh he's sitting there looking at this stuff and uh my dad comes into his office and he goes oh you son of a blank (laughs) <laughs> and he goes, I I couldn't get an ounce of sleep last night thinking about all of those these weird things you showed me. He goes, but it occurred to me that I think I know what we need to do with it, and um, and so. He said, get all the guys around here. I want to talk to them. So he, he gathers everybody who was at the meeting the night before. He goes, he goes, we're gonna do, we're gonna do the museum of the weird and and we're gonna collect the weirdest things from all over the world and these objects that Roley's been working on. And we're gonna create this great museum of uh thing that we're gonna do. And that's about what he said, the gist of it. And uh, Dick, Dick uh, Irvine comes running up to Walt's, you know, holding court and Dick's got his coffee because he's got his meeting schedule and comes in and Walt said, OK, guys, that's 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 it. we're going to wrap it up. And he goes, you know what? I'm going to go home now because I need to go to sleep. And he leaves. So had Walt, uh, I've heard stories secondhand that Marty Sklar believed that if Walt had lived longer, that at least aspects of the Museum of the Weird most likely would have made it into the mansion. Yeah. But because nobody else supported it and it was a project that so many people were working on that that had a lot to do with why it went the road it went down.
1: Yeah, you know, it's something that in fan circles, people are still asking for it today.
4: Yeah, yeah. No, it's the the thing about it is, and even Imagineering, um, there were a couple of folks who... Um, sort of came up with some ideas about how to incorporate dad's, uh, you know, his objects into some kind of a walking museum or some kind of a thing. And um, <laughs> they even, so, I'm not going to mention any names. They know who they are if they watch this. But um, my dad was, was at Imagineering uh, after he'd retired this would have been in the late '90s or early 2000s, and it was he was there for a book signing, and they'd bring a lot of the old, excuse me, the legendary Imagineers in and do book signings, but they were always corralled. They'd have a they'd have a green room, and then they'd they'd sit on the patio and sign books for people, and it was all very you know regimented, and these two these two guys. My dad was walking between the the this VIP green room to the table on the patio where they were gonna sign books. And these two guys literally it was like they jumped out of the of a doorway and said, Hi, Rolly, you got a minute? We want to show you something. And my dad's like, What? You know, I, I was hanging out with him. I was late later in life, I was kind of one of my dad's like take care taking care of dad guys and um they they pitch all this stuff and they're talking fast and my dad's hearing wasn't so great and he wasn't quite getting it and he didn't expect to do this he was expecting to sign books and then they're trying to pitch this idea to him and um anyways that didn't go anywhere um there's all these sort of ideas that people have and that they are not going anywhere. And, yeah, it remains this uh, this mysterious project. And and regrettably. Besides the few illustrations that my dad did and the objects that he created, there wasn't really a, a story, as it were. Right. Like. The Museum of the Weird didn't go into kind of a full-blown attraction development phase. All it was, was it was like a visual vocabulary, right? And and the thing is, is there's actually some people that are talking about... I, I think there's a lot more heat on it. And I think that, that maybe there's a possibility that something may happen, but I'm a little... So I'll be I'll kind of channel Rolly a little bit here. I'm a little skeptical of how it would go based on the latest Haunted Mansion movie. And I I'm I'm probably sure most of you have seen it.
0: Yep. I actually just and, watched it with my son.
4: <laughs> and um, you know. It's, it's like a lot of Hollywood movies these days. I mean, it did not do well at the box office. And a lot of times when a movie doesn't do well at the box office, there's a good reason for that. And my opinion about the reason is it was a committee movie and it was trying to hit so many beats. And I was exhausted by all these beats that it was trying to hit. You know, they had, to, they had to have all the redemption of the of these kind of, mis- these, these misfit characters. And the characters all had to have their, you know, uh, their hero moment. And there was all this feel good that needed to happen at the end of the movie. And then it was mixed in with just a bunch of, you know, standard, like to quote Rolly, standard scare stuff. Like they were scaring you because they were just going, woo, you know, they were just doing quick yeah. cuts of, of like spooky stuff and loud music and loud screaming,
2: which is going to scare anybody, right?
0: Relied on those jump scares.
2: Yeah, that that that's why you stick with the Muppets one and be happy. All right, uh...
4: exactly. And then it's just <laughs> yeah, it's just about Muppets, and that's cool. <laughs> yeah.
2: Right. <laughs> All right, uh, Lisa, you have a question?
3: Sure um I don't know if it's too early to talk about the Little Mermaid um but I would love um to hear about um your role with the Little Mermaid attraction if you don't mind
4: I I do not Uh, I'm I am happy to talk about the Little Mermaid and (laughs) there are there are some Imagineers that like to tease me about how much I like to talk about the Little Mermaid (laughs) Uh good. <laughs> one of the one of the reasons I like to talk about it is that I had a lot of fun working on that job on that show. And it was the it was the last attraction that I I worked on before I went into management or went into more of a managerial role. So I had kind of gotten to a phase of my career where I just kind of learned how and knew how to influence how to get things done and how to get people assigned to the project. So I had a lot to do with the casting on the job. And if you put a great team around you and you have a a lot of people that you like working with and people that are respectful and respect each other, um, the job is more pleasant. And if you're having a good time on something, I think that ends up reflecting in the project and um, we all had a real, we all had a really good time working together. Um, I think there are some people that will say it was probably one of the best project teams they'd ever worked on. So um I was able to figure out it. I've told the story about it's kind of like a Mission Impossible thing. It was like we needed a really great sculptor and we really needed a great you know, this, that. I mean, every person that needed to be cast, we wanted to try to get the best person or the right person, as it were, which to me has everything to do with anything um, if you get the right people. And we had a really great team and it was a particular moment in Disney history because uh, things were actually kind of slow at Imagineering at the time. So um, the machinery was just kind of getting back into the works to, to be doing this big, you know, <laughs> a billion dollar renovation of Disney California. Right. Cause I was working on the first one and Florida was pretty much the same attraction. We just basically bought two of everything for that show. So lots of executive meetings um there were these meetings with with Bob Iger and you know John Lasseter and you know all the you know they they'd show up and we'd review models with them and show them you know um stuff i probably my favorite moment reviewing the design with with upper management when Lasseter was still with the company And we built a one inch scale model of of the whole show. And um, the big under the sea scene was was put together and you kind of just had to shove your face in it because you'd have to pull it apart to get to get around it. But we had it put together for the first time. And Lassiter came in and he, and he stuck his head in the front of the scene. And you see, you know, all these characters and stuff in the ceiling and all the standing. And he just looks at him and goes, Oh, holy crap. He was just, he thought it was fantastic, you know? You he, he kind of can't get any better response from an executive than that. And he, he was, a, I always enjoyed working with John because he was just a great guy.
3: Yeah, right. I don't know if you could get a better reaction than no. that. That would be. No.
4: Maybe maybe better when Glenn Keane and the whole Disney animation team that worked on Mermaid toured the building with us. And we were walking around and they were looking at all the scenery and everything and going, my God, we're like, we're walking inside the show we drew. Right. Absolutely and they were just like it's like for them it was a a kind of a surreal deal because the 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 movie was drawn it was a hand-drawn movie and so um again we were just trying to be faithful to reproduce what the scenes look like right the seaweed the rocks you know the characters every single thing about you know. You, you do screen captures, you get as much of artwork as you can, and then you push the art to just get everything to look like you're in the movie. Right. And these guys, the, the day we walked them through, that was another highlight. They, they were just thrilled. They thought it was fantastic.
3: It's amazing. And then was there anything that you felt that was undone or something that that you know through the years you thought oh we we could have we should have maybe done this or that or, or are you very pleased with the end product
4: well so um i'm sure you're aware that um that the show went through at we opened the show and then the show went through another sort of regeneration as it were and uh the reason um again this is the downside of the internet you know i think uh, social media and and uh, expert people who've never worked on an attraction in their life never built a piece of scenery um have all kinds of opinions about staging and um we were given, uh, basically, when we got the attraction, there was a piece of land. It was it was landlocked because the park was already built. So we, we had to stay within a, a, a particular um, footprint in the park. And so the under-the-sea scene actually is in, like, almost a loop. It's like a, a big oval scene. And you come in it, and then you go around it, and you come out. Well, because of that, that's not usually the way an attraction is laid out tractions usually laid out where you come into a scene you kind of maybe make a turn or what have you and then you go out so you can't look up and you can't see theatrical fixtures and all kinds of stuff but when you come into a scene where you're going to be kind of like doing a bit of a u-turn there's no way to light anything without you being able to look up and see lights it it's just it's it's a it's a math thing it's just not going to happen And that was the complaint the complaint was that everybody complains about being able to see the light fixtures and then you can see you know air conditioning ducts or catwalks or that but up but up but up but up yeah yeah well um you know nobody was you know nobody was paying attention to any of that when we were they were reviewing the show and it's like all of a sudden the the show's open and, and then the complaints about the lighting come up right so um yeah, if uh, if we if if we could turn the clocks back in time, I wish we had more land, and I wish the ride was laid out so that you that you had to go in a loop and if, cuz if you could have come in that scene and just made a little jog and then gone out of the scene, I don't think we would have ever changed the way that that set was was uh, built, painted and lit and it looked exactly like the movie. What happened with the blacklight is it turned it into like you can't see 50% of what we built. It's just dark now. It's just an inky, dark scene. And yeah, it's better from one respect, but it's not under the sea. It's not a light Calypso number anymore. It's not the fun, you know, place that it was initially when we designed it and built it and opened it. And I preferred I preferred that under the sea. And I also would challenge anybody that you cannot, if you, if somebody's telling me that if you want to, you can look up and look at light fixtures. If you feel like it, I don't care what show you go in, you can see where the stuff is if you want to. If you're going to spend time doing that, I, I don't know what to say, you know?
3: Yeah, oh, very good points. I appreciate that answer. Thank you. Yeah,
1: and I'm uh, sorry about it, but Chris, I have to tell you, I have to make a confession here in front of everybody because I've never liked the movie Little Mermaid, but I okay. love the ride, and I will ride the ride every time I go.
4: Well, oh, cool! Thanks. That's great. I don't know. It's a classic. It's a it's an approach to the classic dark ride, you know. Yeah. And not only that, but when you got an Omni mover, you know, you got an Omni mover you know there's you're going to see the other vehicle in front of you you're going to see people in the vehicle in front of you you know and it, it is what it is right it's so, it's, a, anyway. it's a show and people
1: forget the fun is in the make believe i'm i'm old yeah. school Disneyland yeah. guy and the fun is in the make believe it's 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 it is a show it's not real enjoy it for what it is
2: right yeah i think my favorite's when when uh people you know use their cell phones and the flash goes off all the time that's kind of my favorite thing and it 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 annoys me so much because it's like it's like enjoy the moment but you you can't enjoy the moment because all you i mean you know it's like a constant uh flashing all the time so it's kind of sad but but i agree with you because um Jason, you know, I, I, we, we tend to ride it every time we go as well. And it's, it's, it's something about, you know, I don't think it's very kiddish. I think it's very, it, it's very present when you, when you get on it, you know what to expect from it. Yeah. You know, yeah. from, from front to the end. So yeah. All right. Uh, Lindsay, do you have a question? Yeah. So Chris, which yes, attraction indeed. that your father
3: worked on is your favorite? And did he have a favorite of yours?
4: Well, you know, the thing about Small World is um, Small World is just, it's this, it's just, there's never been anything like it. And there's never going to be anything like it, right? Yeah. It's, yep. it's this, it's this, this like, I, you know, it's like, people love to hate the music, you know, that song. Oh my God. You know, I I would hear that. And and what cracked me up about that was. So dad worked on the first one for the fair, right? Uh So they build it and they take it to the fair and they put it in and then they take that exact show and bring it to Disneyland. And then he works on it at Disneyland and then they do another version of it in Florida. And he works on that one. He was working on, Small world off and on for like eight years. And if anybody is going to be driven crazy by that music, it's my dad, right? You you work on a show that long and you're in a building when you're doing testing and that song's running. The thing about working on shows is that you <laughs> you listen to that stuff all over and over and over again. And like we were working on Mermaid. We were yeah. like we were like reciting scenes, like especially Scuttle, you know, because he's funny. You know? <laughs> You know, I was born from a small blue egg, you know everybody <laughs> in it. so um yeah, small world that's small. the sh- that's that's the short answer and um <laughs> God bless dad um uh he did he he saw mermaid and he liked mermaid. how's that so i'm I made him see it, so anyway,
3: yeah,
4: <laughs> yeah, he liked it. <laughs>
3: Yeah, that song. It's a small world. That will
2: replay over and over and over
1: again. Dude, small world is perfect, and I will hear no no,
4: no wrong about it. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's the thing. It's it's just one uh, of my favorites. It's uh, it's 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 a one of a kind. Yeah, and and there's I think five of them. Yeah. Yeah. And there isn't five of any other attraction. So you know, numbers and, and and you still like I was at Disneyland, you know, I don't know, six months ago or whatever. And the line is still around the block, right? Yeah. You know, you can't you, you can't argue with popularity, right? Nope.
1: When you think about it like at twenty-four hours of a day, there's five of them at some point. Every minute of every of every day, someone is riding Small World right now.
4: Right. Someone is Some <coughs> riding, riding Small World. World and having the the music drive them crazy.
0: <laughs> uh, J, uh, you had a question about the tower, right?
4: <laughs> oh,
1: I, I so I do have a question. I'm I'm dying to ask you. Um the tower with the four winds that your dad made was one of my favorite things ever that he made. I love that. I, I wish it was in front of Small World Is it true that Walt secretly hated it, and when Small World was being dismantled, it just accidentally got dropped in the ocean? The
4: the 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 truth could be it's the truth is much that not even close, right? In fact, it's the opposite. Um, so it was my dad that didn't like it. Really? Yeah. So, um, the model that he built with his model crew. Of the tower, um, the scale model—it's like three feet tall. It was it was made with a lot of very thin um, materials, right? It was very kind of a, a lightweight design, as it were, and and it had to be engineered, and it had to uh, these propellers, you know, were moving with wind force, right? So they had to be engineered to withstand you know, wind and what have you, and it's windier in the East Coast than it is in the West Coast, right? So anyways, the engineers took everything. And, you know, if it's if it's just tiny in the model, it's going to be, you know, three times the size. And that's just what engineering will do sometimes. That's just the nature of things, right? So, um, you know, my dad's famous for telling Walt he thought it was a piece of crap. And yeah, this is this is this weird artist guy that my dad was. It was a piece of crap and it was his favorite piece of crap. I absolutely know that it was the favorite thing that he did at Disney because it was his design, right? Mary Blair semi-influenced parts of it, but it was really kind of all the artists that he you know, loved and emulated and borrowed liberally from, Calder, um, Charles Eames, like they're all kind of the, these classic guys from the 60s and 50s and what have you that he loved. And you can see the influence of all of those things. And um, so when it was time to bring Small World back to, to California, my dad famously tells the story of this meeting that they had with all the, you know, heads of state at Disney, what have you, talking about bringing the tower back, right? And so these guys all got my dad on the side and said, listen, you're, we want you to talk Walt into us not bringing the tower back to California. Because if you tell him, he'll go along with it. But if we tell him, he'll just argue with this and fight with us." So the meeting happens, right? And uh, my dad says, you know, you know, maybe Walt, we should not bring it back to the to California and, and maybe do something different and what have you. And and so literally the, the way the story goes, and I won't do the story justice because it's a great story. Um, Walt, Walt says, well, okay, Rolly, I, I understand what you're saying, but and then he goes literally person by person in the room. But didn't you not want to do it because of the because of the shipping fees? And didn't you not want to do it because we may have to do some retrofitting of 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 structural and wouldn't you didn't want to do it? Because so he goes around the whole room and he can can see that they put my dad up to it. He he knew that they put him up to it. Right. So he said, "Okay, fine, you know, but Rolly, you're so smart. You better come up with something else to put in front of small world. But yeah, they threw it in the lake or the ocean. They threw it uh, in a big body of water, and that's where it is. It's, so
1: somewhere it's it's still so, oh see, I love that sculpture because it's everything cool about the 60s in one piece of art. Yeah. I, I've been waiting for Disney to make to release some kind of form of that in collectible form.
4: Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. you know, yeah. Yeah. so so when I retired, um, and now here's where the book plug comes in. Uh, I built a model of the Tower of the Four Winds, and it's and it's in this lovely book, The Great Crump Presents His Magic. And I don't know if you can see that picture.
0: Yeah, yeah.
4: But here's here's me in my backyard building this model.
1: That is awesome.
4: And it ended up in um, the museum. The my dad did a, a one last big exhibit at a uh, art show in Oceanside, California Museum of Art. And um, this model of the tower uh, was in the first room, and it started out me building the model because I knew my dad loved that design. And it, unless you see it three-dimensionally, you just can't appreciate it, right? And I knew that. And so I retired, and I took this you know, I crazy idea to build a model of the tower, and it took me a year and a half to build this thing. It it was exasperating. It was it was great. It was it was everything all rolled up into one, and um, yeah, it was just a super cool design. And um, I've been asked if I build more of them, and it's like it's just such a pain. It, unless I could get the, a lot of the basics three D printed, um, and and that's an option, right? And then and then work on little sub assemblies and get other people to paint it and all the other backbreaking stuff that's just like mind numbing, um, but it is a just a beautiful design. It, it's it's really stunning. And oh. I I know that thing inside and out. And what was fun? There's so many pictures on the internet of that thing, and I had some basic drawings to work from, but I literally relied heavily on the internet to like find little spots of like trying to figure out what's this little detail. And I I was building the model and taking it to dad and show it to him as I was building it. And I asked him questions and he just looked at me and go, I don't know, I don't remember,
2: looks great. <laughs> All right. Um, so Chris, you, you yeah. brought up the book. Why don't you tell us the, the book you're promoting and tell All us right. what's so great about it. Here's the thing. Okay, it,
4: this is the, the great crump presents his magic. And you can find this book on the Baby Tattoo website. And that's babytattoo.com. And their curiosity shop, their book sales. The deal with this book, um, so the curator of the museum and the publisher of this book are the same person. And that's a whole long story in itself. However, um, my dad pulled together objects from like his entire life and career uh, and put it in this museum and it's just fantastic and so um the museum exhibit was up for like six months and basically everything in the museum was photographed when we took the museum show apart and everything in this book is basically all the pieces that were in the Oceanside exhibit. And this is stuff going back to the, my dad's posters from the 50s, going into the um, models that he um, somehow ended up in possession of from Imagineering, um, pictures with Walt. I mean, like you name it. And then paintings that he did went out after he retired in the 2000s. It's just it's a retrospective of his his life and his art. And it really celebrates his art. And of course the model that I built is in, there's a couple pages on that, a very talented uh, automaton artist, Thomas Kuntz um, built the gypsy wagon from Museum of the Weird. And it is super cool, that's in the book. And um, so basically the book was put together. Bob Self um, published the book in 2019 and then regrettably, uh, Bob uh, died in an accident and my dad, my father passed away this year. So there was never really a proper book promotion. And there's a lot of these books that are just basically sitting in warehouses and it's time to get them out there and it's time to, to do a full-blown book promotion, which means you know, doing a live event and t- pitching pitch the book and signing books and letting people know that it's out there and that's the thing that never happened there was never a real push so um when i found out there's like 1500 books sitting in a warehouse i you know i knew if dad was still around you know and i say dad they're just sitting in a warehouse we got to get them out there he go you're damn right you should so i'm um basically doing something that i know he would want me to do and i feel like there are still a few things that i need to do to keep the spirit of his art alive and maintain his legacy and keep it going forward so i intend to do that
0: we'll definitely love- try to do our little part there chris we'll put links to uh the site and our show notes Great. and we'll put it in our socials as well because yeah definitely if that's something that you and roly think needs to be out there we want it to be out there
4: well, anytime I I I meet a fan or talk to somebody who's a fan and and, and they go, what book? I'm going to go, this, this book of this exhibit. He goes, well, we've never seen it. And it, it's just, it gets back to this kind of frustration, but it also reminds me, you know, why, um, like, it's great. I really appreciate you letting me pitch this, but that's what happens in promotions and, and in discussion and, TV interviews and now, you know, any kind of media, it's about promoting something and letting people know there's something exists. And uh, it it just drove me crazy to think that they spent all this time and energy on this book and just to have it not get that last thing, which is called sell the darn thing, right?
1: Well, actually, as we've been sitting here, I... I bought a copy on Amazon and it's Excellent. on the way it'll be here on Halloween day. And I can't wait. I want to see all the art pictures because people think people forget your dad was a real artist.
4: Well, that, and, you know, and that's part of it. Um, uh, he he would tell it, it, and Terry Harden Jackson talked about this, that um, she met him at an event. And, and he talked about the fact that working for Disney was a job, right? For artists to actually make a living, like doing art is, is, it does not always a profitable venture, right? I I think part of that is because artists don't know how to promote themselves. But anyways, um, he has the job and then he comes home and then he does his art, right? So there's a lot of my dad's art that um, people don't get that that's, i believe that was that that's really in the heart of the, the heart of the man right and so one of the things i did sort of towards the end of his life as i started getting into all of his old posters and i started collecting things and i i found a few pieces that he hadn't seen in a really long time because there were posters done in the 60s and he didn't keep everything right So there there were a couple of posters and I got to take him down um, a few months before he passed and show him the stuff. And it just put a big smile on his face. It was really cool. It was a fun hobby to have um, towards the end because it was an unpleasant situation (laughs) health wise. And so it gave me something fun to do and then something fun to share with him and it made him happy. And that was fun. It was so cool.
2: So Chris, let me me ask you, um, so when you when you go around, I mean, is is there still a big um, a big push of people who want to know information about the original Imagineers and about what they've they've done? Because it seems like you have a new generation now that that really doesn't care about the past. They like to see what what the parks are now when they go into them and how they. Um, you know, it's about what I can see, not what has happened 50, 60 years ago. That kind um, of kind of makes makes me sad because I think that the history of the park itself is, is a big drawing factor of people going to it, but it just doesn't seem like it's a big it's a big get anymore for people.
4: I I think that's true, and and you know, and yet, like, um, you know, you're. Y- what you're doing is to keep this, to keep this rolling. Right. Like, I mean, maybe I've put some stories into your show that you haven't heard before. Um, That's what you're looking for. Um, You know, I mean, Gur is out there. He just keeps yakking and keeps telling stories and keeps signing stuff and, and, and that guy's busier. Yeah. He's, he's 92 years old and he's, he's busier than people in their sixties. Right. Like me, you know, he, I don't want to be that busy right now, but maybe I I will someday, but anyways. Um, yeah, it's a different, it's a different time. And, um, I I think the park experience is just different for people now. So I, I think, um, there's a, it's just a different feel, but on the other hand, you never know. Uh, I was at, uh, Garner Holt productions, had a, uh, a gala last night that I was at. I don't know if you're aware of it. The, the grim grinning ghosts and, and it's for, um, Garner's foundation and some work that he's doing to try to provide opportunities for, uh, kids who don't get the same opportunities for many reasons. And, uh, you know, so I, whenever I get to these things and I'm surrounded by people of all ages, they still go crazy with all the stories and want to talk and want to listen. And and I just feel the love. Right. It's it's pretty amazing. So uh, as long as they're they're wanting to come to things, I'm going to still go out there I'm not going to do as many of the fan events as, as Bob does <laughs> bob will sign anything (laughs) he's got a (laughs) sharpie with him no matter where he goes you know (laughs) i've got four bob gerr
0: autographed attraction posters in the hallway right there
4: right right (laughs) but you know so um we're coming up on the close. but i I gotta tell this story because this was just super fun so uh, a couple weeks ago october 16th was the actual 100th anniversary of the disney company right And so Dusty Sage um, found out that the company wasn't doing anything actually on the day of, right? So he rented, uh, he put an event together at the Woking Way House, which was the house that Walt Disney built, had built in the 30s that his family lived in. And it's literally like 10 minutes from where I live. It's in Glendale. It's up in the Hollywood Hills, but it's, it's not far from where I live. So anyways, small group of people. Of course, Bob's there, right? Few people, Tony Baxter, um, but it was just a cool night, and I got a chance to spend a lot of time talking to Bob, and um, and it's great because he just loves it. And the thing about doing all these events is, he just told me that it keeps them young, it keeps it keeps them vibrant. You know, he said, "I don't play golf, right?" And he goes, "If it, you know, what am I going to do? You know, if I ended up playing golf, then I'd be tired, then I'm going to end up on the couch." And then I'm going to be just my body's going to just go away and then I'm going to pass away. I'm going to die because I don't want to do that. So I'm going to keep doing what I love to do. I'm going to go to these events. He's got a manager now and he's just busy, crazy, and it keeps him young and it keeps him alive. So I think that's fantastic.
2: Yeah, that's that's great. Um, we we actually had uh, Garner Holt on for an interview and that that was an amazing episode we had here.
0: so he's
4: a great guy i love
2: him yeah all right we're going to go ahead and we're going to wrap up this episode um excellent we want to we want to thank uh chris for coming on um and go ahead and go to babytattoo.com and see what's there and definitely get the book um off of there um just
4: one one quick thing there's two versions there's a hard copy version which there's a limited amount of them that my dad signed and then there's a a soft cover version
2: there's two versions right now two price points there you go make sure you get one get one of them get one get one get one for your uh for someone for uh for christmas for christmas yeah
1: yeah amazon currently only has the paperback at time of recording 10 29
4: 23. right so i'm requesting that you go to baby
2: tattoo which is the publisher because the publisher is uh, the one who's got right
4: all now. the books i want to sell
2: okay yeah yeah all right Babytattoo.com. yeah all right beautiful we want to thank you all for tuning into another episode of sharing the magic as always please hit that follow button to stay up to date on the latest episodes, and please tell all your friends to tune in wherever they listen to awesome podcasts like this one. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok at Sharing the Magic Pod. Until next time, keep sharing the magic. The seaweed is always greener in somebody else's lake.